Hi, my name is Jeremy Jensen, and I'm a public school educator in the Denver metro area. I'm on a quest, a quest to learn from as many educators out there as possible about the innovative approaches that are making learning authentic and meaningful. It's a very different world today than when our current education system was established, and I've been incredibly fortunate to have had opportunities to get to know some amazing educators who are working tirelessly to adapt to this new and evolving world. One common thread among these inspiring educators, I've come to find out, is their ability to balance both a passion to make progressive change with a humility and understanding that they don't have all the answers. Hence the name of this podcast, Humble Badass Educators. It's often easy to identify what's not working in our current education system, but it's a lot harder to figure out what changes really are having the most success. I invite you all to join me on this journey to hear about the secret sauce from the educators out there we're positively impacting our landscape. In fact, that's the point of this show, so that these ideas can hopefully be spread far and wide. My first guest is Miguel Gonzalez. Miguel is the director of Embark Education, an independent learner-centered micro school in Denver, Colorado, that focuses on inspiring students to develop their intellectual curiosity. Miguel is also a co-founder of The Iterative Space, a unique summer residency experience for educators in the Denver area that has just wrapped up its first cohort. In this interview, Miguel discusses the foundational human-centered concept of these two organizations and how they evolved. He discusses the idea of radical trust, one of the key ingredients to The Iterative Space that allowed for it to be so impactful. He also talks about the idea of teal organizations, a concept introduced in the book Reinventing Organizations by Belgian author Frederick Leloux. Miguel is a true humble badass, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Miguel, welcome. Thank you for being my first guest on the Humble Badass Educators podcast. Yeah, an honor. <laughs> I'm, no, so, I'm super excited. It's, it's really, it really is my honor. I'm so excited to talk with you. I have so many questions for you. Um, I don't know if this is going to turn into a 12-episode um, podcast on this for you alone, but uh, we'll see how today goes. Um, I do want to start off with the same question that you asked me the first time, um, which is, tell me about yourself. Uh, why are you a badass, and where does that intersect with humility? <laughs> I recognize that question. Um, yeah, so... I am um, the director of Embark Education, uh, which is a micro-middle school here in Denver, Colorado. Um, the school is um, embedded in two small businesses, a coffee shop and a bike shop, where uh, we strive to have all of our student learning intertwined with shop operations. Um, what also sets it apart and makes it unique is that um, the shop or the school itself is, is an independent school, but we're tuition free and our shop's proceeds or profits turn into our educational funding. Um, so really trying to, you know, to push on innovation in education in a couple of ways, uh, both by being fiercely human-centered um, and meeting our students where they're at in their, their learning continuum, um, and then you know, strategically and thoughtfully giving them the next steps to, to help them grow and learn, um, while also pushing on what educational funding can look like um, and then finally, where, where you know, amazing teaching and learning can happen. Um, and we chose to do that at, for middle schoolers, which I think is, 
is a really unique piece here, in, at least in the Denver education scene. There's a lot of amazing elementary schools and a lot of amazing high schools, um, but middle school seems to be this void for whatever reason. So um, that's a little bit about me. I also um, was fortunate to um, to help create the, the iterative space, uh, which is a professional learning and development experience um, that I was fortunate to be a part of this, this summer um, where we really um, created a space for, for educators to, um, to bring forth their power and learning that is in, inherently inside of them um, and give them the time, space, and resources to just essentially ideate on their dreams and passions for their schools, their communities, um, and whatever that might be. Um, through the notion of radical trust. The only, uh, the only expectation that we had was that, um, that we come together for a shared meal um, each day. Uh, beyond that, it was really up to, up to the residents to, to, to breathe life into the space, co-collaborate, um, cross-pollinate, and, and make it grow. And it was, yeah, humbling to be a part of. It was something for me to be a part of. I, I just wrapped up being a part of this, and this is why I'm so excited just to pick your brain about how you even created this or where these ideas came from. There's a lot to unpack in, in these things that you just said here, but you really truly are um, one of the most humble badasses I have ever met in terms of like the world of education. Um, one thing you mentioned about the middle schoolers is, was was that humanity. I know you've spoken, we've spoken a couple times before about your whole concept of just do human better. Mm -hmm. Is that the phrase? Is that, am I using that correctly? Yeah, so um, we, all, you know, we oftentimes ask the question of how do you human better? Um, and you know, one of the ways that we do that, so we work with a partner nonprofit, um, Great Work Inc. Um, and that's actually their, their mission statement. Um, is actually a question and each of their their programs or their initiatives uh, which embark and the iterative space are, are each one of them are actually answers to that question um, so you know at embark it is an answer to how do you human better and embarks mission which is to courageously inspire engage and discover a sense of health self um, is the answer to that question um, and so you know we we definitely look and approach all of our work um, through like a human-centered lens and how we're helping support, you know, in Embark's case, helping um, adolescents like recognize who they are and how they fit into the world. Um, and you, in order to do that, you must first be able to recognize them as, as, full, as full humans, so. Can you say more about how you're able to sort of achieve that mission? Of recognizing them and allowing them to realize their full potential as humans. Yeah, I think you know the. the I think the fundamental piece is um, is entering this like entering our school and entering our space as as equals, right? That they have um, they have voice and as much um, impact and say in in our culture um, and what you know what happens and what the uh, the learning environment and learning experience is. Um, that their voice is just as valued as, as mine, um, as the educators. Um, and it's about, you know, supporting them and having that voice to be able to use it, to, to be able to speak up when they are passionate, 
to be able to speak up when they are mad or they don't like the way something's going and be able to do both of those things um, in ways that their voice is heard and it's like respectful, it's kind, it's compassionate. Um, and yeah, I mean that like, so that's, that's one of the fundamental pieces of approaching, you know, human centered education. Why is that so important? Why is that voice and that ability to find your voice so pivotal for us right now in a society, do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of us live, um, you know, on a big level, a lot of us are living in echo chambers. Um, and so um, within that, like when you hear your voice and you're just hearing it go back and forth, um, that's not necessarily, you know, that's not productive as a society. Um, but moreover, I think for, for adolescents and at the middle school age, they're, they're going through, like just naturally, developmentally, um, they're going through this time in their lives where um, they're beginning to understand what community really means. You know, we develop as humans, you know, first like in concentric circles. So the tightest circles when you're the youngest and um, your family is the most important unit. Um, then as you develop further, you, you know, begin to have like your classrooms um, and that is meaningful. And then as they step into um, like middle school, middle school age, it actually becomes like your school, your community. Um, even when we reflect upon ourselves, like that's when like it was the best times to play with like the neighborhood kids. It's because you were like expanding your understanding of what community really means. Um, and so helping them both understand that and understand who they are and have that voice and understanding of how they actually fit and can meaningfully can contribute in those ways. Um, and while also hearing other people's identities as well and being able to um, to appreciate them although they may be different um, but being able to do that in a healthy safe community I think is yeah is beyond important at, and, that, and it's something that's oftentimes glossed over you know in education oftentimes you know students are in elementary school where it's like they're young and you know they're, and they're treated that way and then all of a sudden it's like there's this like black hole and then you're in high school and you're expected to be a full, like oftentimes expected to be this full adult. Um, and in a lot of schools, you know, middle schools oftentimes like kind of bolted on as a K-8 or you have the, the 612 and it's bolted on at the bottom, right? And it's never really given the attention um, that I believe it should because I think, you know, if you're able to, to work with middle schoolers or adolescents and, and support them in these these ways and give them that authentic experience and that safe place that um, that it will keep that spark and that passion for learning um, that oftentimes feels to be stomped out directly in that black hole of years. Can you tell the listeners maybe some specific things that you might do at Embark of like maybe what that looks like from a day-to-day -day sort of basis to ensure that the space is safe and people are inspired? in your school to be able to share their voice? Yeah, we, uh, we do a lot, um, but one of the most important things that we do is um, we gather as a community every day um, to make sure that every single person is recognized, their voice has an opportunity to be heard and is said hello and greeted. Um, every single student, every single day. Um, and they have the opportunity to kind of share what's on their hearts and minds. Um, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, and that's all, always going to be okay. Um, and so we ground ourselves in community um, every day as we begin. 
Um, but there's a lot more to that. You know, beyond that, um, we don't have a bell schedule. We don't actually have a schedule at all at Embark. Um, in the sense that we actually, our students build their own schedules every week, um, much like we would as adults. You know, that learning doesn't happen in 45, 60 minute, 90 minute blocks. Um, so they, you know, they will approach like, okay, I know I have this, this math lesson and I know I need to do it um, on Monday. So they might schedule it with our math educator, much like you're setting up a meeting. Um, and then instead of having to do their math follow-up work or their homework right after, which is what happens typically in, in traditional schools, they might need to step away, do something else, and then schedule themselves their math follow-up later in that day or the next morning. Um, and our students have the ability to, to navigate that space and own their own time. Um, and so like, by having that level of control over how their learning occurs, um, you know, those are those are really pivotal pieces that that help us along in the embark journey. I see a lot of parallels between the philosophies, I guess, at embark and what I just experienced at the iterative space. Um, before I get to like some of these commonalities, I think it might be helpful for the listener to understand a little bit more about what the iterative space really is and what it looks and feels like. Yeah, um, yeah, the iterative space. Um, is a it's a it's a house uh, here in North Denver, um, and it's you know a really beautiful space with an open foyer, um, you know a wonderful kitchen, and you know kind of a you know a nice set of stairs that like kind of greet you and welcome you into this space. Um, and we've converted it into um, essentially like a shared working space uh, for educators to uh, to come to. Um, and the iterative space, um, you know, what it, what it really has, has become um, is, you know, a place where passionate educators um, who are really thinking about education different um, have been able to come together and, you know, from the beginning to the end, the walls were absolutely covered in like the big sticky notes and, you know, there are upwards of 15 whiteboards across the space and, there's not an inch on most of the whiteboards that that isn't covered in, in writing and thinking and um, you know as you as you walk into the space with the educators when they're there it is um, you know there's always like you know flurries of conversation um, happening and spontaneously you know there's this you'll hear laughter erupt as or like cheering and clapping as like new ideas emerge it's it's a uh, it's yeah sometimes it's even hard to put into words. <laughs> Absolutely. How did you feel like knowing that um, when you walked into that space, is, was this everything you were expecting more? Uh, how did you feel when you walked into the space seeing some of your ideas of making this like very radical idea come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, the first time that I walked into the space, um, you know, it was it was an empty house um, and you know, it was, it didn't feel super hard for me to be able to kind of close my eyes um, and envision what it could be. Um, but what the reality has been is it's been far beyond that, right? It's been far beyond anything I could have hoped, um, you know, but I'm fortunate that the space itself lends itself to, you know, like a big group meeting area um, 
and it has these wonderful spaces where people can kind of like hunker down and you know put their head down when they needed to um, but it really was a very conducive space to to collaboration and cross-pollination um, and so it felt like you know what it took to to take it from from an empty house to what it was was just you know ensuring that we lived lived the principle of honoring educators as true professionals um, and making sure that all their their needs might be met um, and the way that we approached everything in the space was um, we wanted to make sure that it was absolute quality um, from the furniture we purchased to the whiteboards we used to um, making sure that you know we asked we asked all of the residents like what they like to drink um, and eat and then when they entered entered into the space that those were recognized and they'd open the fridge and they'd recognize that um, that they were in fact valued um, because the drinks that they'd hoped for or the ice cream sandwiches that they love um, would They're show very up. good <laughs> would show up and so uh, but really like living that value of like you know honoring honoring them as professionals and they they deserve it and so we um, made sure that we we entered the space with quality in mind well, you did a great job with it because um, I definitely felt every single day very valued and I wanted to be there. Um, I don't think I've been in a, there was a single day that went by that I didn't want to be there. There was one day that I couldn't and I felt gutted because I was sad about the things that I was missing out on and the conversations that were happening that I wasn't able to be part of. Um, why Why and how? Like, how did you make this this work it's uh it seems like you know you've got this fully stocked fridge and there's lunch every day and there's stipends for all of us that were there how did you how did you make this space common and why was it so important for you to like create something that was so valuable yeah i think um the idea had been you know within my head and i have you know amazing amazing partner with brian since who you should have on this podcast a, a future time. But, I definitely will. <laughs> um, you know, we had been through um, the work of Embark. We had really been thinking about how do we support um, educators to enter like learner-centered or human-centered spaces. Um, and at one point in time, we were thinking about it in like how do we offer professional development and professional learning in like a very traditional way, um, like an A to B experience of like here's how you do it. Um, which those are the types of experiences that we've we've all been to as as educators, um, and some of them are amazing, and some of them are not. Um, but what I reflected on were were two different things: is that no matter how good of an experience I've I've had in those, I never actually had the time to implement it. And ever, I don't think I I think they influenced me, but I never like took something back wholesale. Right, it just didn't happen. Um, and then the second thing is recognizing that, um, in fact, we're not experts in this. Um, that we don't know how the hows and whys of everything about learner-centered or human-centered education. So who in the world are we to tell other people how to do that? Um, and with those two things kind of circulating in my head, and then. Um, COVID came and happened and um, 
when that occurred, you know, a lot of obviously a lot of things went up into the air, um, and we had completely backed away at that point in time for Learner Centered Professional Development or LCPD is what we were calling it, and uh, we just kind of like put it on the back burner and said maybe we'll come back to it in the future. Um, but then a couple of other things happened organizationally, and um, you know, the house itself. Uh, we happened to close on the house um, three days before all schools closed across Colorado. Um, and it was originally intended to do, um, to serve a different purpose within our organization um, that would no longer be possible with COVID. Um, and so there was this, you know, a lot of essentially like stars aligned. Um, and then, you know, Brian and I were on a Zoom call and you know, kind of digging in and just really recognizing that if, you know, if there's ever going to be a time um, to to make impacts in education and really give people the time and space to, to move something forward, now is the time and now is the time it should be done. Um, so with, you know, kind of going back to our, the two recognitions is, is like, okay, well, why, like, let's not pretend we're experts. Um, and let's give people the time and space um, to bring their own learning to the forefront. Um, you know, and bring all those A to B learnings that, have, that we've taken over the years and actually make them come to life. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of what the iterative space was about. And then we, um, once we made the decision to do it, we, we put together a pitch deck. We went through a number of pieces of advice process um, you know, with a lot of our colleagues and a lot of um, external stakeholders, and um, and then we applied for you know applied for a grant, and we're yeah we're fortunate enough to to move it forward, and that all happened from uh, from our decision to do it to fully building out a website, um, getting funding, and getting our first applicant um, was was about three weeks. Pretty fast. That is fast. Um, congrats on making something so amazing happen in such a short amount of time. Um, I, I'm sure that if you had spent meticulous months planning some sort of uh, other type of PD, it would have been not nearly as effective as what I just experienced over the past six weeks. Um, so thank you for accepting my application. <laughs> um, how do you think the COVID impacted some of the projects that people were working on in the space? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think that um, I think that COVID really impacted some of the projects in the space and even the people in the space in the sense that um, honestly, I'm sure people were like, well, I don't have anything else to do. I may as well try out this thing, you know, and, and um, and you know what is this iterative space? I may as well may as well. I don't have anything else. Um, so I think that um, did definitely play a factor in it, and um, which is I'm I'm super fortunate for that, right? That's something that's not within my control, um, but was definitely something that supported, um, you know, a number of I think a number of people entering that space that maybe otherwise wouldn't have, um, not because they don't care, but because. It's just not in the normal cycle of an educator's life, right? Summer's the time that you step away or do these different types of things. And so this opportunity happening at this time, I think uh, was critical. Um, and then, you know, within the space itself, I think that we saw um, 
over our the six weeks, um, we saw a number of projects like shift and change. I think both with COVID, um, but then also with um, you know through a social justice lens and you know as they everybody approached their work through a much more um, like anti-bias lens um, as our world is is rightfully shifting in that way. Um, I think we saw a lot of projects really like embody and be responsive to um, what's currently happening in, in our world. Um, yeah, it's like some people starting whole new projects out of it because, you know, they're wanting to respond to, to learning pods or, um, you know, shift and, and bring um, like an equity focus more centered into their projects or schools or whatever it might be. Yeah, totally. I saw tons of that. It was really cool to see how many people like we're able to quickly think on their toes and to be like, you know what, pivot, pivot back, pivot this way, um, really bind together. I, I really enjoyed seeing some people's projects actually combine together and people like piggyback on and be like, you know what, it makes more sense for us to join forces as opposed to do two separate things and try to figure things out on our own. Um, and then to your first point too, I just wanted to personally say like, pro uh, without a doubt, um, this has been the best part of COVID for me because to your point, I would not have applied. I had a trip planned to France. Um, I probably would have just spent my summer, um, you know, traveling and not really being around here. Um, and I would have missed out on this opportunity, this experience. And looking back on it now, I'm actually really, really glad because France will always be there. I'll be back. I'll take trips, but this is not replicable for me. So, um, this is the best part for the COVID situation personally. Um, I want to go back, I want to ask a, a little bit about that, those underlying philosophies. I guess the, the, the pieces of Embark, the pieces of Iterative Space, what do you see as those, the, the core philosophies that may be similar or, and or different between the two? Uh, between Embark and, and the Iterative Space? Yep. Yeah, um, I think that fundamentally they are very similar. Um, in the sense that both of them are are human centered, right? Where um, again, in in the professional learning world and as educators, where oftentimes we take these courses that are very prescribed, um, and you have to go on this very guided learning path, um, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not good, um, and that's the same thing that happens in in schools, right? And we think about a traditional class whether, you know, English, social studies, science, right? Like you go from A to B um, with, with your learning and you don't oftentimes have the voice and the choice as to what that learning can look like or should look like for you. Um, and so both of the, both the iterative space and Embark are grounded in this place of the learners or the residents have voice and choice um, over their learning and their experience. Um, they look very, they look different because, you know, one is for adults and one is for middle schoolers, but both rooted in this, this you know, real fundamental belief um, in the power of humans. And they have, you know, that it is okay for people to, to have control over one of the most intimate things that happens in their life, which is their learning. Um, and once we honor that, then amazing things will happen. Say more about the idea of this radical trust. 
So radical trust um, is really, it's really funny because like the fact that you think that trust is, is radical or has to be radical um, in this, in our world feels, feels slightly wrong, but I think it is in fact a radical idea right now. Um, that if you just simply trust people to do what they say they're going to do, um, that it's going to be okay and it's probably going to be better than okay. Um, and, you know, specific to educators in the iterative space, you know, educators so, so many times are simply not trusted. They are not valued. They, you know, are given prescribed curriculums or navigating the bureaucracies of, you know, school systems or whatever that might be in which they don't actually have a lot of agency. Um, and so when you, when you do open up those doors for and trust them to say like, I'm going to redesign, uh, you know, one of the residents, I'm going to try to redesign a math curriculum to be community focused. Um, and you just kind of nod your head and say, yeah, you are. Like, I trust that you're going to do that. Um, and that is exactly what, what has happened or, um, and I think it, it goes big, it's big and small. And at the iterative space, there was also this radical trust in the fact that, um, after six weeks, we, we certainly hoped that people would have something that they're going to implement, you know, the following week. Um, but actually trust in the fact that it, and know in the fact that that's not going to happen for everybody and nor should it that change doesn't happen in six weeks learning doesn't happen in six weeks um, and so if we can simply be a part of the journey as somebody's changing a math curriculum or a school or a program or whatever it might be and that journey might take them two years three years ten years um, they're going to be making change for their communities and like education in Denver. Um, and that is the outcomes that we want. And we trust, like radically trust that that will happen. Why do you think that's so radical? Why do you think it's so hard for people to um, have that ability to, to trust and that people will follow through with what they say they're going to do? And how do you think people might be able to do more trusting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a commentary on our, our current society. Um, probably in a much bigger sense than just education, um, you know, but education specifically, um, you know, since, you know, since No Child Left Behind and the standards movement um, and, you know, through the guise of equity and equality and making things lockstep the same, of, you know, um, guaranteed and viable curriculums or all of those things where every student has to do the same thing. Um, it really eroded at um, the foundations of what trust looks like in education because you couldn't have variances across classrooms. You couldn't have variances across schools or even districts or across our country um, that educators um, were stripped of their ability to, um, to really respond to their their communities and were no longer trusted to look at the students in front of them and do what was right for them, but rather they had to do what they were told to do. Um, so that's why I think it's radical. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, we need to, and I'm excited to, um, you know, to begin to big, build communities 
um, that are able to recognize those things and begin to, to take the steps away from it. You know, it's not to say that standards aren't valuable, that we need to have um, high expectations for our students, our communities. Those are, that is 100% true. Um, but putting those at the center of what teaching and learning is about um, is wrong because it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the heart of teaching and learning. Rather, it should be the humans that are sitting in front of you that are at the center of teaching and learning. What can we do to get better at that? I think to get better at it is to recognize first, I mean, I think people must like truly be able to recognize that that is the case. Um, and I think that's really hard, um, especially when the narrative um, that is told to them and has been has been different. And then I also think that um, even as educator, you know, we've both been educators for I don't know exactly how long you are, but I'm uh, about 20. 14, 15 years now? Yeah, yep. and I'm, uh, I'm approaching 20, you know? And so um, even with that, it's like what the schooling that we went through um, was not the way that schooling should, should evolve into. Um, and we're still held, you know, held to these antiquated models of schooling. And so I think that in the, to do it better is to first recognize um, in communities and hopefully across the country that um, that it does need to shift and it does need to change and I think COVID has has land that bear for the country um, and so there is a real opportunity for that to begin to shift now um, but it's also about like you know making sure that the voices are heard and um, that there are examples to look to um, and to what it can shift to and that's where, you know, that is what Embark is about, um, is it might be a small school, um, but it can be, it can be hopefully like a lighthouse um, to help guide others to say like, in fact, it is possible. It's so. a big reason why I wanted to talk with you actually right away is because I wanted to sort of like share this idea and get people to start thinking about this, this idea about how we can maybe um, make that shift a little bit better um, in the things that we do in general, like yes, in our professional development and in our schools, but just the, the trust idea in general, I think is a really powerful way. So I appreciate you helping me to see that um, there is, there are pockets, there are, there are places, there are people that, that believe and value that. And I've seen how much impact that's had in the space and on me personally. Um, the first week that I was there, you and Brian kind of turned me on to this book, um, Reinventing Organizations. Mm -hmm. um, can you kind of share a little bit about the idea uh, about the teal level organization, what that means, how, how that might have impacted what you're doing around here? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, Reinventing Organizations um, has been a book that, that actually Brian introduced me to. Um, and it really is, um, you know, it gives colors to, uh, to different types of organizations um, essentially across history. And it, the book itself traces the journeys of um, how organizations are formed. Um, and Teal, the Teal color, is um, an organization in which there really is, is not um, a hierarchy, but all voices are honored and valued within an organization. 
Um, everybody might have their role and their responsi responsibilities around decision making. Um, and of course, those might be at different levels. Um, and but that anybody feels like they can step forward, bring an idea to fruition, and that that voice will be heard and valued. Um, and so that is, I mean, I think really influential in, in both the iterative space um, and actually how I've built um, built Embark as well. It's been interesting to, um, to build a school in which it is not, um, tries not to be hierarchical, um, in which my educator's voice is valued as much as mine. And what's even more powerful is that the students' voices are as powerful as mine as well. Um, and um, so you can see those different types of things in, in Embark, and then you can also see those types of things in the iterative space um, in which I fought every, every piece of me to, to program, uh, which was really hard, um, and, and actually allow um, this space for the residents' voices to be heard um, and to bring things forward for what their needs were. Um, whether that was, you know, the pitch deck competitions we had, or Jeremy, when you um, you actually contributed to our speaker series by, um, you know, by suggesting and, and actually connecting and, and bringing forth, um, you know, an amazing speaker that that I like shifted a lot of people's thinking, including my own. Um, and so that wouldn't have happened if I controlled every nuance of it, but rather giving everybody. Um, everybody a, a place where they can they can raise their voice and and see the difference and see the impacts um, not only for themselves but actually those around them that welcomeness to do that i felt very comfortable from day one to offer suggestions and i've i haven't been necessarily in spaces that immediately uh, make it well known that your contributions are are welcomed we want to hear what you have to say you know feel free and comfortable to to share your ideas and um you know bring something that could be different that we haven't thought about. So thanks for encouraging that to happen. I think that was a, a big piece of the space to make everybody feel so comfortable right away. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely appreciate that. And, and actually that, you know, I have to, I have to give Brian credit, uh, you know, or credit to do in that, that he, um, you know, he's a wonderful balance point for me um, in the sense that like I, I am a, a trained educator, um, you know, and and that's I'm, I'm doing a lot of unlearning myself um, and this was really for me one of the you know a, a very large growth step in, in, in being able to both discipline myself um, in the sense of like you know what no you don't need to control everything um, and it was a credit to all the residents who who stepped into that space um, and were willing to to hear um, that they had, they could bring their suggestions forward, you know, to, because oftentimes you can tell people that, but they don't want to hear it. Um, and they don't want to do anything about it. Um, and even through that first week, there was kind of the, you know, it felt like in some ways like this clumsy, uh, this clumsy navigation of like, well, you know, like Miguel, I'm not going to be able to be here for lunch on, on X day. And, and my response was like, okay, cool. Like, that's okay, you know, like, you don't need to tell me, you don't need to report to me, you don't need to, you know, do those different types of things that like you really are trusted to, to make the decisions that are right for you. So there was this clumsiness stepping into it, but it was amazing to see, um, see the group do that. And I learned so much about the power of 
releasing control. Tell me more, I have to ask you, you mentioned this idea about unlearning. Is there something in particular that you can think of that once upon a time in your career you learned and now you realize that was a thing that has to be unlearned for you? Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, there's a, there's a lot, <laughs> um, but like, um, I mean, I really do think that there's this, um, I've done a lot of unlearning about um, time and the power of time um, in the sense that like, you know, that um, it, go, it, it goes from like really big things that like, you know, learning is not time bound. Um, and like I, you know, earlier in the podcast, I already said, you know, like learning doesn't happen in 45 minute blocks, 60 minute blocks or 90 minute blocks. Um, so like unlearning um, things like that, because, as you know, obviously during my education career, I taught in all of those blocks of time. And like you had to have a nice little blow, bow on the end of it as it people walked out and you actually had to have, you know, the bow ready to open for the next class to walk in. and you know, doing like those bell starters and, and the warm-ups so that way kids were coming into the space immediately and like engaging and learning and like engaging in your content and like unlearning or like, I guess, relearning the fact that like, no, you, like you don't have to have that to have the most meaningful learning. Sometimes the most meaningful learning happens in the unstructured times where you give people this space to talk and to share. And sometimes the learning has nothing to do with what you're trying to teach them, right? And if you don't ever give it the space to do that, um, then it just simply never occurs. That's so true and I just experienced that in, in an interesting way at the space. Like there, there were some days where I was kind of focused on my own project and own things and, and I would ask for people to give me feedback and, and I was learning things from other people intentionally that way. And then there were other days where I wanted to uh, engage more with what other people's projects were and what they were doing. And so I wound up getting almost just as much out of those um, situations for myself instead, like kind of inadvertently, like I wasn't expecting to like kind of be inspired or, or take a different direction by having a conversation or being part of like a little powwow with somebody that was, you know, problem solving around an issue that they might be having with their project. Um, and that, I think, caused me to have just as much valuable learning experience as I would have had I been a little bit more structured with my own time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think what is oftentimes neglected is that learning is, um, is both giving and taking, right? And that oftentimes in education, especially in K-12 education, um, it's just the adults giving um, and the students are supposed to receive. Um, but in fact, that's not, that's not the best for K-12 education, nor is it the best for adult education, um, which I think the iterative space was taking the steps to, um, to show that. So. Miguel, I'm a big believer in um, the idea that we need to celebrate failures um, because that signifies that people are taking risks and they're trying to take a forward step. And even though they might risk falling, um, it's still happening. What would you say is your best failure? Hmm. Um, I think my best failure was, gosh, I mean, I've had a, I've had a lot. Um, 
but I think my my best failure probably is actually comes really relatively early in my teaching career um, when I was like working to build um, build out with a, a colleague like a broadcast media class um, that at the time I had no idea was really human and learner centered um, but it just was kind of doing something that I felt was like right um, and then at that time I was an English teacher um, and I couldn't do that through my English class right because I wasn't allowed to standards and all those things right um, but building out this other this other class that that could that had the you know hadn't really it hadn't been done at our school and so like I didn't have rules I wasn't bound by these other things and so um, you know working to build that out which you know um, ultimately wasn't wildly successful right it was really a, it was a really a, a challenge for both our students to embrace it um, for the community to embrace it but like what it did for me was unlock a lot of the path forward you know that's now 15 years ago um, and so that failure in trying to build out those types of things have you know uh, clearly really impacted me and like um, in my journey as an educator um, you've inspired me to name this podcast the Bad, Humble Badass Educators podcast based on an initial question and many question, many uh, conversations you've had with our space. Is there any last advice here for listeners out there in the world about um, how they might be encouraged to become humble badass educators? Oh, man. Um, I think, you know, my biggest piece about being a humble badass is is listening um and recognizing that we don't we don't have all the answers or probably even a fraction of the answers um and you know if you enter the space enter any space um with humility um and a willingness to learn um you know amazing amazing things will will happen um and both your contributions will be that much more meaningful as well as like they will shift underneath your your feet so yeah thank you so much for your time here today um you are truly a hero to me um i have been very honored to be part of the editor space and honored to know you i hope that we are able to continue our connections and collaborations for years to come yeah thank you jeremy i appreciate it Thank you for tuning in to Humble Badass Educators. Again, the biggest goal of this podcast is to share the transformative ideas of what can work in the world of education. So if you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to share a link to this episode with someone you think may also be interested in hearing these ideas. If you or someone you know is also a humble badass educator, I'd love to hear from you as I continue my quest in learning about the amazing things that are happening out there right now. Know that the term educator is not just school-based. An educator is anyone that helps another person learn. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Humble Badass Educators. Thanks for listening.